at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 32. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I wanted to make sure you are following What Should I Read Next on Instagram. You can find the show there at What Should I Read Next, where you'll find good books, info about the people I'm talking to, peeks behind the scenes, and much more. It's all books, all the time, and it's a lot of fun. Next week, we have another fun episode coming up. We're circling back to talk to previous guests who were on the show to check in and see what they really read next and what they thought. The last time we did this in episode 22, it was so much fun, and I can't wait to share next week's episode with you. Today's guest is Julie Smith, who you may know from her travel blog, Drive on the Left. Julie is an enthusiastic reader. She's also an American expat living in London. And while this sounds awfully glamorous to me, I was surprised to hear that while her London life has its joys, it presents challenges to her reading life as well. I really appreciated her perspective. I hope you enjoy it too. Let's get to it. Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay. So you have an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an American expat. I live in London currently. I'm from the Midwest in the U.S., but I have been living in London for the past three years. Um, I moved over here for my work, which is in marketing. And yeah, it's fantastic here, although cold. What do you do that they moved you to London to do your job? So I work in marketing consulting and my clients' global headquarters are here. So my company said, will you please, please, please move to London? And I said, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a short-term or long-term move for you? Or do you even know? Um, we agreed to three years initially. And later this year, I actually have to decide if I'm going to stay here or maybe move to Asia. I probably won't come back to the U.S. yet. I'm kind of liking it abroad. Okay. They're paying your way to see the world. Basically. Now, how did you happen to become a reader? I'm curious if, if your reading history at all played into your desire to go abroad. Hmm, that's an interesting question. I've always been a reader, you know, since I was a kid. I have been a more um, recorded and deliberate reader for the past five years when I've had really long commutes. And I started keeping track of what I was reading and rating things on a little scale I created for myself and being a little bit more deliberate about it. Now, living abroad, I have started reading more British literature just because it's just so much more available. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that's like the biggest change. 
Interesting. So when you say British literature, what do you have in mind? Well, it's probably equally available there, but things mm-hmm. like Kate Atkinson books come mm-hmm. out here early or at the same time as in the U.S., where a lot of other U.S. published books, there's a big delay. So oh, I've had a bit of a issue getting my hands on like some of the fun bestsellers in the States mm-hmm. because of the publishing schedule. Mm-hmm. But all the like kind of I would say popular British authors, Louise Penny, for instance, a ton of Frenches of the world, their stuff comes out here really fast. So I've been able to read those faster because they're just more available just in general. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me how it feels like we live in a global age until you want to get the new novel by I don't know who yeah. like who's an author you've had a well, hard time like, getting your hands on so for instance you know the book The Nest which I've heard discussed multiple times it's like circulating the world these days yes, it's not it available it's not available here yet really yeah okay and that came out in March right and so it's usually from what I can tell it's usually at least a six-month delay other things like one of the books I'm reading currently which I'll talk about later I had to get in the States because they've never, I they, I cannot find it here to save my life. I want to know what it is. Okay. Okay. I'll be patient. Um, okay. So Julie, what role does reading have in your life right now? Um, I use reading as I think I, I mentioned on commute. So I use it kind of as entertainment when I'm not entertaining myself in other ways. So I read a lot of fiction. I tend to limit the nonfiction. For me, it's fun. It's an escape. It's a way to actually learn. I like to learn about history through literature, kind of more so than through other ways. Um, And yeah, I, I would say that it's just like a daily companion for me more than anything else. Very nice. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and we'll talk about what you should read next. Can't wait. All right. Let's start with your favorites. All right. So the first, my first favorite is H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. Mm-hmm. A nice British book for you. I know. Started That's off. why I mentioned it first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about this one. So um, Ages for Hawk is written by a woman who is British. She lives in Cambridge, which is about an hour outside of London. And the book is about kind of a couple things simultaneously. It's a memoir about when her father passed away. But at the same time, in the void in her life, um, which her father left, she decided to train a goshawk. And So part of the book is about kind of the training of the bird, which is named Mabel. Part of it's about her father. And then throughout, she kind of weaves in the history of falconry um, and more historical fiction, historical bits. There's um, one particular historical person she references kind of continuously throughout the book. But it's a little bit of a mix of those three things, I'd say. I was Googling this the other day for some reason or looking it up on someplace like Goodreads. And if you tell them that you... When you look up H's for Hawk, you know how sites like Goodreads say you may also be interested in yeah, and show the titles. They yeah. were all books about birds. And I thought, well, you know, it is about training a goshawk, but it's not really about birds. That's interesting because what I really like about it is I've heard this term and it's not a very pretty term, but it's about how it's really fun to watch and 
listen and read other people do the thing they're really good at. So this happens a lot in TV, like on the shows like Project Runway or Top Chef, where you're basically watching experts in their field be amazing at whatever it is they do. And I found HS for Hawk kind of has that element where she's done this before. This isn't her first hawk she's ever trained. So it's like peeking in on a whole world of expert falconers where you're like what i've never even heard of such a thing the martian has that same you know feel to it where you're just watching this guy do what he's amazing at and figuring it all out so it's kind of an interesting perspective that i just find fascinating just to learn a little bit about a profession or a you know like a or like food memoirs have kind mm-hmm. of the same feel to it too. It's really fun. I didn't know I was interested in falconry. And I wouldn't have been, I don't think, except she made you sit up and pay attention and say, "Oh, I didn't know this was so interesting." And it has such an emotional weight to it too. I think that really pulls or it pulled me in. Yeah, and she's a beautiful writer. Like it just, you know, her talking about getting the hawk to eat for the first time and this like painful thing where you're trying to basically make the hot hawk not hate you is like a huge (laughs) part of her book and it's so interesting it was so much more interesting than i expected it to be okay great start what's book two book two is station 11 by emily st john mandel Mm -hmm. now this was a huge hit i think it was it a year ago i guess i don't know how you would characterize it if it's science fiction probably not post-apocalyptic maybe um but it has a lot again a lot of elements so it takes place um i'll be very vague about this so as not to give it away but it takes place after a big epidemic has hit the world where most of the population has died and then the book takes place over the next 20 years or so where there's this traveling nomadic shakespeare troupe there's this interesting neighborhood that's built up around an abandoned airport there's um, the the word Station Eleven comes from this graphic novel that is kind of a book within the book. Um, and there's all these interesting people. And what's really fascinating, what I found really interesting about this book was it's so it's just the imagination of creating the world. It's like a Hunger Games or it's like a um, let the book The Leftovers from a few years ago, where it's just like it's just such a whole I mean, she just is amazing at just basically building the world from the ground up. So that was a fantastic one. Yes, but a very dignified, elegant Hunger Games. There's not quite as much death, for instance, as in the Hunger Games. Well, it's off screen. But yeah, um, yeah that, that feeling when an author makes you go like, how did you come up with that? I mean, it's just so the history and like, it's so layered, you know, like my favorite part and this won't give anything away, but my favorite part is in this airport, this abandoned airport, they have a museum of artifacts from before the epidemic. So they have this like old broken laptops and cell phones and credit cards, none of which do anything anymore, but just this, like the fact that they've collected all the things that used to be you know, our daily life. And now they show their children through this museum of dead laptops. It's just so, it's, she just does such a great job bringing that to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one too. Okay. What's book three? Book three is Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. Mm -hmm. Now this one's a little different in that it is, I would say sprawling. It takes place over the course of 
I don't know, 30, 40 years. Um, it starts in Ethiopia. It ends in New York City. It's about medicine. It's about um, politics. It comes from the perspective of a child who then grows up and he becomes a doctor and his twin. And it is, I actually reading this book, I learned a lot about what was going on in Ethiopia in the fifties and sixties. I had really no idea. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I don't know exactly how perfectly factually accurate it is, but it seems pretty darn close to me. Um, so it's just like a nice way to learn a bit about um, an area of the world that I don't know much about, but also the kind of narrative of the doctors and the medicine and the clinics and the, you know, the twins, the whole thing just kind of sprawls and sprawls. And then we end up in New York and it is a really, it's like by the end, it's a fairly gripping ending too. So that's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Now, Tell me what you hate. As many of your previous guests have said, it's hard to use the word hate. It seems so strong. I would say for this one, I'm fairly indifferent and a lot of people love it, mm -hmm. which is why it kind of rang true for me, mm, which is, fun. yeah, it's Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. Mm -hmm. Okay. If... <laughs> For the two people in the world who've never heard of this <laughs> book, now that it's this huge motion picture, um, it's about a 20-something young woman who becomes the employee of a family with a 30-something-year-old son who's been fairly recently paralyzed. And she's supposed to be his caretaker and over the course of the book, there's some romance, they become friends, and um, I won't, again, I won't give it away, but there's a, however, part, oh, yes, I think in episode one, Jamie Golden described this as a book that makes you want to like curl up on the floor and cry like visceral reaction. <laughs> and she loves that. She loved it. Does. She loved it. And I found the crying part, I guess maybe I'm not someone who wants to curl up on the floor and cry to a book as much. I found the romance a little sappy for my taste. I found I didn't really like the main character. She's a little bit, um, not that I don't think having likable main characters is definitely a necessary thing. I just was put off by her. Um, the relationship that they have, their friendship is, seems pretty far fetched to me. And he's like kind of a jerk too at the beginning. I just was a little bit eh about it, mm -hmm. which is interesting because so many people just adore it. So many Adore. people do. So this one wasn't good for you. So some people yeah. don't like this book because they feel like it has an agenda that it's trying to change your mind yeah. on a hot button issue. Mm -hmm. um, some people think it's emotionally manipulative. And some people think that the story isn't supported by really top notch writing. Mm -hmm. do, are any of those, those are, those are some people's opinions. Um, I thought it was definitely readable. Like I read that really quickly. And I have read um, her other books. So I have, mm -hmm. it's not that, this book turned me off to the author completely. I find them a little light. I mean, she tries to deal with pretty heavy issues, but because they're written in kind of a, um, not a weighty, she's not very weighty in her prose. So you can kind of fly through them and they don't tend to stick for me. So it's just like, I just blow through them kind of like a beach read and I don't cry on the floor, unfortunately to them. And then I kind of forget about them. So maybe it's that her, those topics that really stick for people that have them so involved in the characters, just maybe the way she writes, it's a, it just skims by a little bit. Okay. Good food for thought. 
Julie, yeah. what are you reading now? Okay, I'm reading two books. The first one, mammoth book, and I think I got the recommendation from you, is City on Fire oh. by Garthris Kahlberg. So big. It weighs probably five pounds. It is so heavy. Um I really like it so far. I'm only on page about a hundred. I find it kind of sprawling and epic and I used to live in New York. So I like the New York aspect Ooh, of it. Um, but I will say the plot hasn't, I'm, I'm interested to see how the plot picks up because right now we're still almost in the discovery phase uh -huh. and I'm not sure when it will kind of kick into gear I'm giving it another couple hundred pages, though. <laughs> How often do you find yourself saying that? I know, right? Okay, I have to tell you about City on Fire. So yeah. I'm it is such a sweeping novel that if you're introducing one character at a time, or, you know, in duos, it does take a hefty page count to get through. But yeah. around pages 700 to 800, I really yeah. struggled. But the payoff was worth it. More than worth it. I just want you to know. Okay. When you're thinking, you know, I could finish this book or I could just knock off the whole Julian Barnes, power through. Okay. It's a tome. But you know what? In Did you read the hard copy? Or like, I did. Or did you read it like an ebook? I was born to read the hard copy because it has the, um, yeah, all these the cool... zine and the letters. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, because I noticed the kind of interesting inserts almost. So I'm just like excited to get to one of those. How... I haven't reached the first one yet. Are you reading the hard copy? Yeah. Okay, good. So for listeners, I've never seen the ebook, but I've read books like this before that are told in not just text, but also memorabilia. And that has never gone well for me as an ebook. Mm. So be forewarned if you, you're like, oh, I want to read a 900 page book. So get yeah. the doorstop, not the ebook. It is, it, it is a serious doorstop. This serious doorstop. <laughs> One of my friends was like, you just have to buy it and put it on the shelf so you can feel all impressed with yourself every time you walk by. But I think mine's probably under the bed. So, yeah, it's intense. But you know what? I love some of the other books that have the same kind of feel. So I feel like I can. And he's a really good writer, too. So I feel like I'm going to power through. <laughs> that makes it sound like something you can do for the short term. <laughs> you can power through for three months. Yeah. Um, and then just so you know, the other book, the book that I mentioned at the top is um, what Alice Forgot by Leanne Moriarty. Really? And the reason I am just now reading this book, which again, most people love, is because it is not, I cannot find it here. So I had to buy it in the US. Really? So yeah, she, now she's yeah, an my, Australian author, but that yes. came out four or five oh, years ago. Yes. And my local library, okay, it's a pretty big local library, mm -hmm. has two of her other books, but they've never picked this one up. So I just haven't been able to find it readily available in the same way that I can find other things. So I just was in the States visiting my family and I just went and got it there. Uh -huh. How far are you into it? Again, I'm just like 50 pages in okay. because I was reading it on the plane. Okay. <laughs> it seems like a good airplane read to me. Yeah, I think I'm and it's summer. So I'm like, I feel like it's kind of a fun, you know, I've heard a lot about it. So I, mm -hmm. I'm like ready to finally be one of the people who've read it. Okay. <laughs> so you can join the ranks. Yeah. Very nice. Julie, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? I have a fairly lofty reading goals every year. So I try and read between 50 and a hundred books every year. Um, I have a lot of time to read, so this isn't like too hard to do. Um, but I have to be careful with the big 900 pagers because those can really put me over the edge. Uh -huh. um, so I'd say I'm always looking for mid-length 
books that are kind of in my you know, in my wheelhouse without having to go to the 900s every Mm -hmm. time. And the second thing is that I'm always just trying to figure out what's available here. So things that are a little older, I tend to be able to find more easily. Okay. I have ideas for you. Okay. That we're going to talk to figure it out. We'll get to it right after the break. Julie, welcome back. Thanks. I love your picks and I resonate with them a lot personally, which makes this fun. You have very high quality writing. You have books that have stuff going on on the surface. Like there is a story happening, but the novels or memoir in in case of H's for Hawk aren't always about what's happening on the surface. Like the surface stuff, you know, like the dystopian setup in Station Eleven is probing deep questions of human nature. And Mm -hmm. Cutting for Stone is about a little bit of everything, even though on the surface it's about a surgeon making his way. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for good writing, not all new stuff. Um, your titles are really rich. Like they have a certain kind of elegant, serious, but not somber, depressing, or slow tone. Um, you could even call some of them haunting. They're all character driven. Um, so I'm just <laughs> looking for some good books with that in mind. How does that sound? I love that you describe my reading as elegant. (laughs) (laughs) You can put that on your CV. (laughs) Okay. My first book that I'm recommending is perfect for you, I think. Although I'm sorry to say it's both 432 pages long and it's only been out in the States for about eight weeks. Okay. That's when we're talking. Okay. It is Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave. Have you, do you know anything about this book or have you read anything by him? I have not read anything by him. I'm trying to think if I've even heard of this title. I don't think I have, surprisingly. This just came out May 3rd. It's a World War II novel. And you mentioned Kate Atkinson and how you like to learn about history through fiction. And just the way he has such a... um, His writing style is so sharp that I think you're going to connect with this one. It is a World War II novel, and there have been so many in the past few years, including Atkinson's Life After Life. Is that one Mm -hmm. that you've read? Yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot, actually. Okay. So this is interesting in a a different way, because that writing style was very inventive, which Mm -hmm. some people loved and some people didn't. So Chris Cleave, this is the story of four young, they're like early 20s, very smart, wisecracking friends in wartime England. He uses his characters, though, to highlight big themes like morality and wartime and race and money and class. But he does it in a savvy way. He's not being heavy handed. He's not trying to make a big point, even though the content was pretty somber at times. He's just a really great storyteller. And I was fascinated to hear that his jumping off point for this book was the very real experiences of his own grandparents in the war years. Mm. So I think it has that ring of authenticity to it. What I really love about this book is that he's, t- he's writing about a war and some scenes are set in the trenches, but there's a really sharp contrast between the whip smart, snappy writing style. I mean, he has so many great zingers, but the content is very serious in moments, not nonstop, but in moments. And just that contrast of being able to do the heavy stuff while keeping it light in tone really, really works. Um, my husband read this before I did. And he was like, hold on, hold on. You got to listen to this line. And he never does that. (laughs) So that really pushed me over the edge to pick up this book. How does that sound to you? 
I love it when there's like a couple lines that you feel compelled to read out loud. That to me is like such a good sign of great writing. I love that. Just little pithy stuff. Like it's really small talk that wins the war or, you know, men could be better fighters if, you know, I shouldn't try to make stuff up off the top of my head in a book I haven't read in three months. (laughs) But he talks about the problem with war is it happens so much on the inside of your boots. Just really unusual, Mm -hmm. funny, but perfect turns of phrases. Yeah. Okay. So 432, is that too long? No, that's fine. Okay. You'll have to wait like four months for it to come out. Oh, that's true. That's like, it would take two and a half of those to make City on Fire. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Book two. Have you ever read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard? No. Okay. Well, this is a Pulitzer winner and it's old, which I think the combination will bolster your chances of being able to find it where you are. So it was, I think it was 1974 that it won. And it was her first novel. So that was big, big news back in the day. Here's what I like about this for you. um, The writing's great. She's very philosophical, but not in a boring way. Or at least her later stuff lost me a little bit. But here, um, it sounds very fresh to me. So on the surface, these are Dillard's reflections on Tinker Creek. It's a real place. It's set in Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains. And she's observing the changing seasons through the course of the book. But of course, there's more going on. So she uses this, you know, nature and change as a leaping off point to talk about birth and death and creativity and chaos. And she uses some phrases and images that are just so like vivid and sticky that you'll find yourself thinking about them 20 years after you close the book. Mm. For close readers, um, it has a really interesting structure that some people notice, some people don't. I'm curious which camp you'll fall in. What it really said to me was that she was really, it sounds like you're just writing in a journal with something like this, but it's not at all. There's a greater purpose in mind she has. And when you're reading, you can feel carried along with the rhythm she set up for you. So in a nutshell, I guess it's like Walden, but for now, or, you know, almost now, since it isn't exactly brand new stuff. How does that sound? That sounds good. I like, I really feel like being carried along is what I really appreciate about books when I feel that feeling and it is sometimes hard to come by. So it's interesting that you use that phrase specifically. Interesting. I'm interested to hear if that, if this one will carry you along. Okay, for book three, I'm thinking short and British if you haven't read it. Okay. What about A Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes? Okay, I've read some Julian Barnes. I'm trying to think if I've read this. This is a 2011 Man Booker Prize winner. And here's what I like about this for you. So, of course, something happens to kick the novel into gear. And this inciting incident forces a middle-aged man who's had time to, you know, grow up, marry, divorce, kids out of the house. Um, All of a sudden when this incident occurs, he's forced to look back and re-examine relationships from his school days. He wasn't particularly self-reflective at the time. He took everything that it came. He never thought much about these experiences. Um, But something happened and that made him realize, you know, I took things at face value, but maybe that's not at all what was happening. So he starts digging a little bit and starts looking at those people and events with a sharper eye. And he realizes that he has to re-examine everything, like everything that happened back then, what's really going on now, and much of what he even knows about himself. I'm choosing that for you because even though it's a very short book, it's like four and a half city on fires, it's deep, it's probing, 
not boring because I don't know, deep and probing can sound like a dangerous combination if you don't want to fall asleep on the couch, but it's not that at all. Most importantly, it has this this certain air about it that I see fitting in very nicely with your picks. It feels a little weighty, a very mysterious kind of feeling. And you seem to find that very appealing in the books you chose as your favorites. Mm, How does that sound? That sounds interesting and easy to find here because it's British. (laughs) British. A British prize winner in the last five years. I'll definitely find it. Okay. Excellent. Julie, what do you think you'll read next? So I think I'm going to go quickly pick up the Julian Barnes because that's obviously easy to find. But I'm also going to put the Chris Cleave book on order and pick it up next time I'm in the States. I'll check to see if it's here yet. But I'm <laughs> It could be a very Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very nice. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. And thank you so much for having me. Always my pleasure. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Julie today. Please head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for what Julie should read next. That page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 32. That's the numerals three, two. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.